Would you open God's precious holy word to John chapter 19? We will end John's part, John's record of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ today. I am constrained to stay with the general theme of sovereignty in the death of Christ. Of course, everything is under the, everything is under the sovereign rule of God. And being in Christ, those of us who are in Christ find ourselves sheltered in the wonderful sovereign grace of God that is part of his overall sovereignty of, over all things. So I want to bring you a message this morning that I call absolute sovereignty, absolute redemption. I also want to stay with the theme that I cannot seem to escape as I preach through. This is, let me think about this. I think this is my third time preaching through John in 40, what, nearly 45 years. Every time I preach through a book of the Bible, I, I'm impressed in one particular area of another or another, and it seems that maybe last time it was about the love of God, but I'm, I'm so overwhelmed in this time through John with the sovereignty of God. Of course, it began when we started John in John 1 with the New Testament detailed and maybe completed or at least detailed and expanded version of creation. And at the head of the creation, the creator who became a man as John has developed in this gospel was God the Son. And all things were subjected to him. We saw that in John 1. And then in the gospel account here in John, John has been very careful to record for us the sovereignty of God and the life and ministry and the incarnation and the work, death, burial, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ. Along the way in this part of John, I have said this is extremely personal to me. When Christ went to the cross, he carried my name. I became one of his in a realm that I cannot understand before the foundation of the world. The Bible teaches me this. 
because of my faith in Christ and my growth as a believer, I've come to see and realize the truth that I belong to Christ. I'm one of his and always have been. There never was a time, there never was a realm before time that I personally did not belong to Christ. That becomes more real to me every day, every time. I cannot escape it. I cannot debate it. There was a time in my life I debated it. I can't, I've, I've surrendered. I can't debate it. It's too profound and too true. And so what Christ is doing here, what Christ did everywhere and all the, even in the creation in John 1, and even in his incarnation in the birth of Christ, and now in his crucifixion, it all is very, very personal to me, as well as it should be for you if you're in Christ. Once you have come to be in Christ in the divine timetable of God and by the overwhelming and powerful call of God into Christ as he brought you to himself, what is left for you in this life is to grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Peter said. And I found that to be true in my life. By his grace, I have grown in grace to see that everything regarding myself is just of grace. No worthiness in myself. The longer I live, the more unworthy I realize that I am. And so, Christ's death, the cruelty of it all, is extremely personal to me as well as it should be for you if you're in Christ because in his absolute sovereignty, I find absolute redemption. Absolutely nothing can take me away from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans chapter eight. So with that in mind, let's continue here. First of all, divine sovereignty and the glory of God in Christ found in the sentence that is meted out upon Jesus. So he then delivered them that he might be crucified. Understand, Christ had said much earlier in John, I will be lifted up. It took Rome to impose the penalty of crucifixion, even to fulfill the prophecy in the book of Numbers, how the serpent was lifted up on the pole and all that looked at it were healed of their plague. Christ said, as Moses spoke of the serpent, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw men to myself. I will do it. But I will be lifted up. 
as we've seen, Pilate gave the Jews the latitude to go ahead and kill Jesus themselves. He didn't want any part of it. He couldn't find anywhere that Christ was guilty, especially within the Roman law. And so he said, you have my permission. Rome could do that. You have my permission, do with him what you want to. But I don't find any guilt in this man. They argued back and said, no, no, no. We have to have you to pass the sentence. We need you to be the executioner. And it's all within the divine and sovereign purpose and will and prophecy that Christ had said he would be lifted up as it was exemplified back in the book of Numbers. Had the Jews done it themselves, they would have stoned him. And he wouldn't have been lifted up. He would have been cast down. So then, they took Jesus and crucified him. And he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which is in Hebrew called Golgotha, where they crucified him with two others. On this side and on that side, Jesus now in between them. Now, Matthew and then Luke give us a more expanded uh, vision, look, at this scene. Matthew says that the two criminals, one on either side of Jesus, railed at Jesus. They blasphemed him and they joined the crowd I don't know what they were expecting to gain out of that, but they joined the crowd mocking him and the chief priests and the others making fun of him, the Roman soldiers. And the cries were coming out, you know, you saved others, save yourself. Let's see if God will deliver him now like he delivered others. This all started out that way, but Luke tells us that after some time had passed, one of the thieves on the cross, on his cross, came under conviction. It had been declared, we'll talk about it in a minute, that Jesus was the king of the Jews. And this thief scolded the other thief this man has done nothing wrong. We deserve this. He doesn't. And then he addressed Jesus, Luke, Luke's gospel. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. To which Christ replied, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. So it seems that the one accompanying Christ through the gates of glory was none other than a, a common criminal, freshly saved, one who could not help himself. He could not read the Bible that he had in his day. He could not have the testimony of someone else. He couldn't do anything except to look to Jesus. Seeing the sign that he's the king being convicted that this is the king of the kingdom. 
he expressed his desire to be a part of it. Jesus saved him. It's like the great divide of humanity. And so, Christ would carry with him one of those two thieves. The power of Christ. Now he was under the sentence that has been imposed on all of us. The sentence that is imposed upon sin and we all have sinned. Paul writes to the you, you've heard this. All have sinned, come short of the glory of God. There is not one of us who does good, not a single one of us, the Bible says. Not one of us. In the Old Testament, we read about what sin has done to mankind. I saw a joke posted, I guess, on Facebook. I don't know where. It was this dirty look. And the byline said, the look that we will give Adam and Eve. <laughs> Just really angry. I kind of doubt that, but it started there, of course. In Adam all die. In Christ all are made alive. For by one man, we are taught, for by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin so that death has passed upon us all for all have sinned. And that's our sentence. Death. We all are born into that nature. We all are undeserving. We are all sinners. We are all dead in trespass and sin. We deserve nothing. There are no innocent people. I don't care if they're on the dark side of the moon and have never heard the gospel. It doesn't make any difference. If they are born in Adam, they will die because they are sinners. We are sinners. And there is this sentence passed upon sin. But God, by sovereign grace, has intervened. The sentence is stayed the guilty verdict removed and the punishment placed upon Christ. My punishment. Paul writes to the Ephesians, Christ loved his church and died for his church. Becomes very personal to me. He died for me. My name was in his mind and on his heart the omniscient son of God, along with all of the others who belong to him. And there he died and he paid the sentence upon himself. Only God the son could receive all of the punishment for all of those of us who are sinners and are in Christ that there we might find absolute redemption. Absolute redemption because of absolute sovereignty. 
and he took it upon himself. So then the glory of Christ and the divine sovereignty of God is seen, first of all, in the sentence that was passed upon Christ in our behalf and was paid by Christ, paid in full. Secondly, by, to the glory of God in Christ, by his divine sovereign purpose and will, everyone is in subjection to him. Now look at this. Pilate wrote a title. Now Pilate is the official who represents Rome. Pilate is Rome. Rome is the Gentile power. Rome is the power of the world. Pilate illustrates, exemplifies the world. The embodiment of all of humanity. Now, Pilate wrote a title, put it on the cross. And it was written, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Definite article is used there. It means the, not a king, the king of the Jews. Therefore, many of the Jews read this title for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and in Greek. Those were the three known languages of the world that pretty much covered the populated world, except for a language here and there. But these were the, and just about all of the world would speak one of those three. And so that all the world may know that Rome, the power, had declared that Jesus of Nazareth is the king of the Jews. Now, it had a messianic purpose, it had a prophetic purpose, it had a political purpose. Rome, seeking to humiliate the Jews, would show how powerless the king of the Jews was. And you know Jesus hanging on that cross was a crumpled, awful, torn up mass of flesh as he hung there. Look at your man, look at your king. Here's what we think of the king of the Jews. Now they thought that was gonna work. All of the Jews read it. Everybody who was there could read it because it was in their languages. The chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, don't write this, the king of the Jews. Write it that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate said, what I have written, I have written. The development of the king of kings was greatly strengthened in the prophecy of Israel when he was dying. Jacob, Genesis 49, verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, the, the rod of authority. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. And 
the power of law giving from between his feet until Shiloh comes. Shiloh, peace giver, peacemaker. It's a version of the word shalom. It spoke in prophecy of Jacob's dying vision of the king. God enabled him to see that the king would come from Judah. Now, Judah was an unworthy man. <laughs> I won't go into detail of the things that he did, but he was a rascal. But God, for whatever reason, selected him and his progeny would then be, they were the progenitors of the Christ. Then comes the Davidic covenant, David of Judah. When people came, oh, Caleb, for example, Caleb was an Edomite. He was, of the, he was descended from Esau. He was not an Israelite. But somehow he became a part of Israel and joined Israel in their march toward the promised land and numbered himself with Israel, which to me was an expression of his faith that he wanted to be as close to the great king as he could be and the promise of it. Caleb was a great man. They marched. He aligned with Judah. And then it became clear in the Davidic covenant that it would be the son of David who would rule forever in God's great kingdom. In Matthew 2, two when, when Jesus was born, the Magoi, the, the wise men, made a, an arduous trip, long way, to find him because they saw his star. The book of Numbers prophesied that star. They were apparently, at least philosophically, descended, and perhaps somewhat theologically, from the seers, the, sooth, the soothsayers, and seers of the book of Daniel. And Daniel intervened for those guys back in that day, and apparently that sect of philosophers followed the writings of the Torah, the, the Jews. When they came, they brought their precious gifts. When they came into the area, they said, we are seeking the king of the Jews that we might worship him. Everybody there knew where he was to be born, Bethlehem. Bethlehem Ephrata. And Micah makes that wonderful prophecy of who was born there. The Ancient of Days, the, the one who comes from everlasting, becomes a man by prophecy. They came knowing that the king of the Jews had been born. Now that was the beginning of the New Testament. Go all the way to the end of the New Testament, Revelation 19. 
Christ is coming in power and glory. In the glorious second coming. He's on a white horse with the multitudes of heaven following him. And it is declared that his name is truth. Pilate asked the question, remember? Two or three sermons ago, he said, what is truth? Mm, There he is. Power and glory. And when the Gentile authorities and powers had reached the apex of their ability to rule the world and to blaspheme God, when it couldn't get any worse, Christ comes again with it written on his robe, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Within the divine and sovereign purpose of God, not knowing that he was controlled by God Almighty, by Christ, who is headed to the cross. Christ is in control, even of Pilate, even of Pilate's command to write, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. There was a a strong objection, but it was overruled because God had willed it. He was born king of the Jews. He was acknowledged by the world as the king of the Jews. He will return in power as the king of kings and lord of lords to establish the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven forever, forever and ever. Now, his divine sovereign, we talked about this a little last time. I won't belabor it since we read it from the Hebrew text, some of the Old Testament prophecies. Namely, from Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, Zechariah 12. The fulfillment of the scriptures of the first coming of the Christ that ended in his death. Daniel had prophesied that. That ended in the death of the mighty Christ. Meticulous scriptures, every one of them, not a one of them missed. Not a a one of them laid aside or forgotten. His divine sovereignty to the glory of God in Christ seen in the fulfillment of scriptures accomplished by none other than God the Son. Then when they crucified Jesus, The soldiers took his garments, made four parts, a part to each soldier and also a tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven from the top all throughout. Therefore they said to one another, let us not tear it up, but let us cast lots for it. Whose it will be that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my garments among them. They cast a lot. For my clothing, the soldiers indeed did these things. Fulfillment of scripture, meticulously, every single one of them. You know, 
We'll see this in just a minute. There is one scripture left. Not a single one can be passed by. There is still one left. Then the divine sovereignty of God and the glory of God in Christ in his crucifixion reveals the superiority of God the Son. They think, they think he is a pitiful, defeated, soon-to-be-forgotten piece of mangled flesh, only to be mocked and humiliated. And yet in the midst of that, the Christ of God reveals his superiority over everything. Now his mother the sister, and the sister of his mother, Mary, the wife of Clopas, Mary Magdalene, had been standing by the cross of Jesus. Therefore Jesus, having seen his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing by, said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his household. The wonderful, warm love of God, the heart of Christ, though he be torn apart, concerned for his own. But it goes on. After this, Jesus, now look at this, knowing that all things had now been accomplished so that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. In other words, Here's what it says. He knows all things. He has accomplished our redemption. But there's one scripture left to be fulfilled. Said, I thirst. A vessel full of sour wine had been set there. Isn't that interesting? Therefore they brought a sponge filled with sour wine having put it on a stalk of hyssop to the mouth. So when Jesus took the sour wine, he said, it has been completed. Charles, you have been set free. Charles, you are alive forever. Charles, your sins are forgiven and you are not guilty. Not guilty. Charles, I'm taking your defilement, the vileness of your sin and the nature of who you are in Adam and I'm placing it in myself and I'm taking it to the grave and I'll put it away forever. And Charles, on the third day, I will rise again and the power of resurrection is yours and I will share my glory with you forever. Psalm 69 is where that final, the last prophecy to be fulfilled out of Psalm 69. The prophecy of the sour wine. 
The last thing. One more thing. I have redeemed my own. But that all the scriptures will be fulfilled. One more thing. I thirst. What could they have brought him? I've read about this. There was a. There was some stuff they could have brought. He would have spit that out. The only thing that could be brought would be that which would fulfill the scripture. Even then, he is in absolute control of every act that the scripture might be fulfilled. And having bowed the head, he yielded up the spirit. Earlier in John, what, chapter 10 or so, he said, no man will take my life, but I will give it. They were surprised that he died so quickly. He accomplished what he had to do. He suffered. All of those who are his own, the check marks were made. That book of life. Not one was left out from his heart or his mind or his act to suffer that he might relieve me of guilt and the punishment of sin. It is completed. The price of sin has been paid. The redemption for my own has been made. It has been accomplished. And he dismissed his spirit. It's what he came to do. And he did it. And I was set free. It'd be another 1,900 years or something before I'm born. But I was set free. It would be nearly 11 years into my life before the Father called me to the Son and enabled me publicly to make a profession of faith. But I had already been set free. I didn't know it. But I grew in that and grew and grew. That my sins were forgiven. And the question that was asked in Romans 8, who will bring a charge against God's elect? Nobody. Nobody. I have a high priest in heaven. He's the mediator. In the old King James words of Job, he's the daysman. Job complaining, there is no daysman betwixt us. No referee, no umpire. Oh, yes, there is. And then Job would finally say, I know that my goel, I know that my kinsman redeemer lives. The skin worms may destroy this flesh, 
Yet in my flesh, I will see him and not another. Christ died for me. I'm forgiven. I don't know how much longer I'll live. I'll guarantee you I'll have bad thoughts and do bad things between now and my death. But I don't plan on it. There may be a trap laid for me here or some other thing there. But I will finally be brought to the glory of Christ. Because he guaranteed it on the cross. He promised it from before forever. Paid for it on the cross. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he came into this world to save sinners. And so he sends forth his church And he sends me forth as well to cry that all would come to Christ. And so we are looking for the whosoever wills. And we leave the rest of it up to God. If you would come to Christ, may I say it's the drawing power of God. It's not of you. What a wonderful thought. What a wonderful feeling to know that my mind could be unlocked and the darkness dispelled so that the light of the truth can come in and I could confess finally, now what I know, that I am a sinner and I can only be saved by grace, the power of God in Christ. We're going to dismiss here in just a moment. And as you exit, we're going to have deacons and their wives at the doors, the rooms, just across the hall as you exit, you'll see them. If God calls you to himself today, go in, let those deacons pray with you. Maybe you're here and God calls you to come and be a part of Shiloh. They are prepared to take care of all of the details if that's what God wants in your life. The glory of Christ in the cross. Would you prayerfully stand all over this room? We'll be dismissed.